a warm welcome back to all my listeners. This is Domestic Abuse, The Cutting Edge. I am Maz, your podcast host. I'm a domestic abuse survivor and a warrior on a mission to fight the battle to emancipate others who suffer at the hands of their abusers, victims who are living with the devastation of domestic abuse. For this episode, I need to give a trigger warning. Some of the detail will contain descriptions of abuse and violence. If you have been or are affected by domestic abuse or know someone who may be affected and want to reach out for help, please call or email the National Domestic Abuse Helpline 0808-200-267. It's a free phone and it's confidential. Or you can leave a message by completing a form on their website, nationaldahelpline.org.uk. The story of the chained elephant depicts a baby elephant chained from one leg to a small stake in the ground. The small elephant tried many times to release himself from the stake and chain without getting himself hurt or getting into trouble. But he was too small to achieve this, so eventually he stopped trying altogether. Even though the elephant was now big and strong, and could release himself easily from the chain and stake. After many years of being captive, he still does not try to free himself, as he has been conditioned to understand that he is incapable of freeing himself and only remembers being small fighting against a chain and stake that would not budge. This is the best way I can describe the psychology of how an abuser conditions his or her victim and why victims stay for so long, or in some cases, never leave. The abuser systematically breaks down the confidence of the victim by means of belittling, humiliating, name-calling, verbal abuse, minimizing, denial, gaslighting, blaming, and isolation from friends and family, followed by control and manipulation in any way possible. This kind of emotional abuse can continue for many months or even years before the abuse becomes physical. The brutality of the physical abuse escalates with each episode, rendering the victim paralyzed with fear and subsequently too terrified and most times too weak to attempt an escape on their own. The manipulation and control thickens as the abuser commences the all-important isolation from family and friends. John, for example, would do anything he could to stop me from thinking for myself for one minute. John had to control any expression of individuality that separated himself from me. So, for example, he would simply switch off the lights while I was reading and initiate intimacy, but not the romantic kind, the kind that puts his power of control over me back in his hands. The sexual control was not intimacy nor was it romance. He would use it to create sleep deprivation by waking me up from a deep sleep in the middle of the night with him already on top of me. The first few times I thought it was desire but it occurred almost every night. I started realizing he was doing it to exert power over me. And my first thought was, what would he do if I refused or rejected him? On the flip 
flip side, John also used sexual control to demonstrate that he was in charge and holds the power in the relationship. He did this by withholding sexual intimacy. He would decide when we had sex and when we did not. If I initiated sexual intimacy, he would reject me every time to the point of humiliation. Sex only occurred at John's will. When he needed it or when he needed to demonstrate his male power over me. The sexual control escalated rapidly into violent sex. And the sad fact is, is that I stayed without a fight, chained to the small stake like the elephant. John had no understanding or scruples about infidelity. I was always finding evidence to prove his infidelity and he always promised it was nothing or denied it and that it would never happen again. The countless times he used to gaslight me when I confronted him with evidence, like strands of foreign hair in our bathroom or in his car or on his clothes, calls to his phone, which I usually answered only to have some random young loose woman ask after him. When I would say, look, I'm his partner, we have a baby, we're a family, you need to stop calling him, they would simply reply that they don't care to my face and also what am I going to do about it and with what army will I come at them with so that was the you know you and what army response is what I would get from these these women that he was sleeping around with but I stayed I did not have the will to fight a chain and stake that would not budge at this point I was completely broken down I was caring for a, a newborn baby. I had been physically abused, mentally abused. I had nothing in me to put up a fight. And the infidelity never stopped. It became more chronic and frequent, especially after, my, after I gave birth. And in the end, it left some nasty, humiliating health consequences for me in the form of sexually transmitted diseases which he picked up from all these young, loose women. The abusive part of this was even worse. I took myself to the sexual health clinic. This was after our child was born and was found positive for a certain STI, which obviously I had picked up from John. I was given the necessary treatment and was told that John needed to come in for treatment as well and that he needs to inform all his current sexual partners that in itself was humiliating to have to admit to the clinic nurse. I felt so much shame and embarrassment and humiliation as I had never had an STI in my life before. I was always responsible with my sexual behavior. John refused to go to the clinic and refused to contact his handful of sexual partners. I completed my course of treatment while John refused to take responsibility. So much so that he would force himself on me with his diseased manhood, I would get reinfected and have to go through all that treatment again. That's sexual abuse. That's not love. That's not even respect for another person's body or health. Thank God this was toward the end of our relationship and I did not have to endure it for too long. I'm going to take you back a little bit to 6th of February 2006 
I woke up feeling very different about myself, a feeling that no words can describe. I just knew I was pregnant. I did not know how John was going to react, so I thought it best to tell him in a public place. It was safer for me. On hearing the news, John accused me of lying and trying to entrap him. He demanded I took another pregnancy test in front of him to prove it was not a fake test stick. Yes, you heard me. That's what his response was. John did not take the news well. It was not in his plan. So John sat on the edge of the bed, held my hand and told me he does not want this baby that was growing inside of me. But he swears on his mother's life that if I have an abortion, he would stay with me for the rest of his life and he will support me through it. He even went as far as phoning my mother and telling her that he does not want this baby. I had to take a minute to digest the unthinkable thing anyone could ever say to a pregnant woman. I could feel the anger rise up like fire. John may have had me trapped in his web of control, but the love and power of being a mother was much stronger. He underestimated that fact because nurturing was not in his nature. John left home agitated, angry that I dared to choose my unborn baby over him. That's how grandiose an idea of himself he had. He went missing for three days. You may think, why, why, why does she not just leave him already? And we've talked about why this question is really not appropriate to ask, but I'll explain it again. Domestic abuse does not start with physical violence from the onset. The honeymoon period is very powerful. Abusers are charming, even kind and generous in the beginning. And that's the person you fall in love with. And the abuser usually tries to secure this as quickly as possible with a short, sharp, intense love bombing. Most abusive relationships start with a whirlwind romance followed by months or years of systematic emotional abuse and manipulation, which starts out with something as small as a derogative comment or with belittling you in company, persistent gaslighting and spiteful behaviours that break down your confidence until you doubt yourself and you lose your sense of identity and worth completely. A small example of this is where I once asked John what he loved the most about me. His reply? Your eyebrows. That says it all, thinking back to that moment. I felt so small and unattractive in that very minute he said that, especially since I knew he was sleeping around with many younger women. I was expecting to hear him tell me how beautiful, sexy, kind and generous a soul I was. That I look cute when I scrunch my nose while I concentrate on something or that my wit and intelligence is attractive to him. But the eyebrows comment was definitely intended to belittle me and break down my confidence. You see, I was losing a lot of weight with breastfeeding and started wearing my pre-pregnancy outfits that outlined a pretty attractive figure considering I'd just given birth a few months ago. John did not want me to get ideas that I was looking attractive and slim again. In his mind, 
It meant that other men may start noticing me and he was not about to lose his property to someone else. So he started launching a campaign of derogative, belittling comments toward me to make damn sure I would not find my confidence again. He needed me chained to that stake. It worked. It did not take much for my low self-esteem to believe his spiteful, deliberate manipulation. The systemic breakdown of all your boundaries until the abuser's pattern of behavior to control you becomes normal and acceptable because he has conditioned you to believe that's all you deserve and that no one else would desire you or put up with you the way he does is where the abuser's power lies. But most of all, you love them and you keep living in the hope that if you love them enough, the abuse will stop and you will get back the man you fell in love with at the start. John left me the day I told him of my pregnancy. His social friend, which we'll call him Michael, informs me that they went to a house party uh, that night when John left me where John became fixated with a European blonde that he met at this party. Michael tells me he had heard rumours that John was shacked up with this girl, we're going to call her Molly, and that he was now living with her in her room in a shared house with other housemates. Molly was the arrival of my worst life-wrecking nightmare for six years. But... She was also my saviour from John's devil's claws in the end. Before I go, I just need to make some housekeeping announcements. Please check out the podcast page on Instagram and Facebook, Domestic Abuse The Cutting Edge, and on Twitter, at Abuse Edge, where you can leave comments, feedback and questions. You can also find all the episodes and transcripts of this podcast at https colon double forward slash domestic abuse the cutting edge dot bust dot com i also have show notes which signpost the national domestic abuse helpline that number again zero eight zero eight two triple zero two six seven national domestic abuse helpline is a free phone and it's confidential or you can leave a message by completing a form on the website nationaldahelpline.org.uk please If you are able to donate to my listener support, please go to the podcast website www.domesticabusethecuttingedge.com and click on the PayPal donate button. All donations will go towards setting up a cluster of support groups for survivors of domestic abuse where victims who have recently left their abusive relationship will find life-saving support and understanding from experienced survivors who've been there and lived it. I am preparing the manifesto and the key principles of the support group. The group will not be a referral or signposting service, nor an advice service, just simply survivors sitting down with a cup of tea and biscuits, supporting and listening to each other, a safe space to grow and develop personal journeys to being totally free of abuse in our lives. 